Hello, welcome to another special edition of Open All Eyes. We had Mark Woodson last week. We had Charlie Austin last week. You can just see your average QPR week. Not much really happening. And <laughs> today we're joined by the chief ex-club captain. I, do, do you know what, Nedham? I was I was looking at how many appearances you made. Flipping heck, mate. You put a shift in it on. Mate, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. Because suddenly, as I was walking away, I thought, like, this is more than a lot of people who I feel are part of the fabric of the club. Because, you know, when I came, there was Clint Hill, there was Sean Derry, there was people like that. But as I walked away, I made more appearances than them. And I thought, this is this is really interesting. Like, I'm I'm fairly significant in the club's history, if you know what I mean. Ooh. Especially like that bit there, which, oh, the club captain. I was like, yeah, yeah, I was club captain, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I forget the depths of all that stuff. But, yeah, there were some, uh, there were lots of games in there and lots of memories as well. Yeah, and, and lots of tossing of the coin. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't very good at uh, tossing the coin, but in fairness, one thing I think I was was um, for the players that which you had at that time. It was getting younger, and I think I, I represented them quite well because they didn't feel they had a voice prior to that. But come the end of it, I think I, I, I enabled them to be able to be themselves. And we might have seen one or two players maybe moved on or playing elsewhere who were doing quite well for themselves. And I think that made a big difference at that point. You're not wrong. Chris Charles is joined as well. Chris, Hello, as usual, hectic lifestyle. Good to see you, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Very well, thank you. Um, yeah, just going back to present QPR. Yes. Um, it, it was uh, f- finished off um, Finished off in good fashion. Nice little win to, it, to, to end the season. I, I'm guessing as a player, an ex-player, you, you still keep a keep a keen eye out on, on what's happening at QPR yes. and other former clubs. Yes, um, yes, sure do. But yeah, I mean, I guess it was just it was just too little, too late, really, because um, you know we we started with a flourish and ended with a bit of a whimper, really. Yeah, and that's the thing that sort of blew my mind a little bit was like the flourish was very, very significant, like incredibly significant, and then the fall off was then mighty from the form tables, the worst team in the division for like two months, and I thought, how can both things be true? But then also the hopes there because all those teams that were around at the time. It's not like they were racing away. So it felt like you just needed to find just a bit of form at some point and to feel like it was that close, but then to, in the end, end up being nowhere near it. Like, it's a shame, but then that's the reality of that division. That's the reality of the championship sometimes. It's not done until it's done, if you know what I mean. No. So we were, sorry, Chris. I, I, no, in, I mean, in January, like as you said, it was just, I think we were two points off Bournemouth. Yeah. Second. And it was just a case of whether we were going to finish in second or be in the playoffs. There wasn't even, yeah. even, even the most diehard QPR fans uh, who know, particularly, you know, supporting QPR, how things can turn around quickly. It wasn't even a question that we wouldn't make the playoffs. Yeah. And, do you um, know, my, my perspective with that as well was another thing about the championship is that so when, whenever I'd be watching, it didn't matter who they were playing against, they were always a good matchup. So they was following full the, you know, they get a thousand points every time in a championship. Like, so what? When you see the way the game pans out, however the result goes, isn't necessarily the way that the match goes itself. And it's the same for Bournemouth. You know, these are supposed to be juggernauts. And I wasn't seeing anyone that it was better than QPR, like, objectively. You know, some might say they played better on the day or whatever, but it's like, it was the same. It was the same. So that's why I think the sort of fall off sort of hurts that little bit more because there's nobody ahead of you where you think, oh, they're really, really, really good and streets ahead of everybody else. Because... On any given day, you know, you could get a result against them. 
Well, yeah. Go on, Paul. Sorry. No, no, you're all right, son. I'll forgive you. You had a hard day. <laughs> um, with um, it, It's weird, Nedham, because you were at QPR. You know what happens sometimes. And I think something happened behind the scenes. As usual, there's all mm. kind of conspiracy theories, this, that, and the other. And it was just weird that no one got their contracts extended in January. It was weird the players were made to wait to the last game and some still didn't know what's going on. Yeah. And the managers then left when no one really expected us to get anyone near the playoffs. It's just yeah. a typical QPI. I think we were victims of our own success in mm. some ways, but also it's kind of like the rule. And it, that brings, it's, it's a horrible thing to say. Les is coming under a lot of pressure and then you're here to talk about your book and um, obviously which is good because I, I I was just saying to you when you came on, I remember when you first came on the podcast, I was like, this guy's breaking down all the barriers of footballers. He's he's not only super intelligent, I'm not blowing smoke up your arse, you're articulate, you're a great captain because you you led by example, you talked to the lads rather than shouted out them and everything else. And then I read how you left QPR and I had no idea that yeah. happened. That was yeah. that was a wee bit sad. Do you want to yeah. tell everyone who's listening? Yeah, it, it, was, it was very sad to be honest. And... It's because, like, I've played, I think it's 227 games or something like that. It's a lot of football. It's a lot of football for one club, for anyone throughout their career. So then to be in that year where, I think this was the end of 2017-18 season, and I got player of the year as voted for by the by my peers, like, that's very significant to me because it's the only one I had in my career, but it sort of showed what I represented to that group of players at that time and the difference that I was making to, to them whenever they saw me out there. So to then know that, you know, I'm out of contract. So what's the offer? It's basically like a pay-as-you-play deal. I was, I was so confused because here I was, as I say, coming off the best season for the club, potentially. And then I'm going to be treated as if I was a bit part player who hadn't played that many games for the past few years. And I was almost being granted the opportunity to maybe, you know, try and incentivize me to play because I didn't want to play. Like, that's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to play. I tried to stay healthy and have a big impact on and off the field. So it was, it was, it was truly bizarre. But then, in some ways, you know, as you probably alluded to, in terms of what's happened this season, at times I think they make their minds up about what they want their future to look like. And even though they didn't come out and say explicitly, some of the way, some of the things that they end up doing, kind of lead people down that path anyway. You know, whether it's people not signing longer term deals and the like, they're not coming out and saying, you know, we're now in a process of rebuilding for the future. But the actions kind of suggest that. And it was, it, I was, I was, I was gutted. You know, six and a half years. Six and a half years. Oh, that's, that long? It was six and a yeah. half years, yeah. That's literally how long it was. Like, and it just ended with nothing. But then in the same breath, like, this thing about QPR is that there are so many things to love, but then there's so many things which are just exceptionally weird and you can just say are so QPR that it doesn't surprise you. And I think I saw that. I saw the highs of that. I saw the lows of that. And you walk away and it's like, well, I'm, I'm happy to have been able to play that many games to one club. And to the highlight for me, as I think I say in the book, was when I first came in, you know, in 2012, there was a mix and there were tons of players being brought in for big money and the like, and you couldn't really gauge who was who and who was in for the long haul and who wasn't. So I think a lot of us that came in, like we weren't loved straight away, let's say that, especially for some of those turbulent years. But after the last game of that season, I was walking around the field and fans were shouting chief from the stands. And I thought, yeah, this is, it's like, I felt like I'd completed it, you know? So that was that was the vindication for staying through all that time and working as hard as I did. And that never changed from 2012 to 2018. But I think in time, people got it. I suppose walking away, even though I would have liked to have stayed or potentially had an offer which would have made me possibly stay. You know, you can sort of say, well, this is football, but I did my bit and I think I'll be remembered. 
So what, what I did notice, sorry, because you covered a wee side of this, is in your book you said that, that it was basically you sticking up for Josh Schoen during yeah. the game against Hull. Yeah. They kind of um, basically oh, sealed the QPR. Right. It, it, so that for the, like, let, the insight here, like football is so obvious sometimes in terms of what people say. Like we have this belief that, you know, managers give rousing team talks and, you know, the little bits make the difference and so on. And to a certain extent, they can give you 1%. But the rest of it comes from the players themselves, you know. So when something goes right, you kind of know what they're going to say. When something goes wrong, you kind of know what they're going to say. And the tradition tended to be that if you do, if something's going wrong within a game and the game finishes, all the big wigs, all the big bosses would come in and say, hey, you guys were a disgrace. You didn't even lay a glove on the opposition. Like, that's the big one. Basically trying to say that you showed no fight and things like this. And I used to hate that because I thought, well, so what are we going to do then when we're losing? We're just going to go around and just start kicking everybody and that'll fix the situation. Like if we're being outplayed and things are going wrong, that potentially risks suspensions and worse things than that. You know, just compete, but try and, you know, just have a bigger impact outside of that. But they always used to say it. And then lo and behold, we're getting destroyed by Hull. It's a disaster. Like it's a true, true disaster. And Josh put in quite a bad tackle on one of their players and it was a yellow card and I was disappointed. So I'm walking away. Um, to get into position. And then one of their players who wasn't involved, who didn't get tackled, came over and started pushing him. So me as captain and me as who I am, I'm, like, I'm not having that. Like he's not even involved in a tackle. So I went over and I shoulder barged him. And it's just as a little reminder to say, it makes no difference what you think. Like, this is my guy. This is who I'm going to stick up for. And then the ref gave me a red card. And to this day, I don't think it's a red card. I think it's very, very soft. But I think the fact that we were at hole, you know, it made it easy for him because the crowd would treat it like I've just choke slammed somebody or something like that, you know. Um, and that happened. And then this was on a Saturday. And then come Monday morning, there's the letter. You're going to be fine. And the talk was two weeks wages and stuff like this. I thought, what type of like paradoxical world are we in here where you say you need to stick up for your teammates at all times and do whatever you can for each other? And I try and do that. But it costs that much money to do it. And then uh, this, the, the bit that really like got me was when I was sitting in a room with Ian Holloway and Les Ferdinand. Ian Holloway understood. He understood what I did. And the thing for me, I'd do it again. I literally mm. wouldn't change my mind on it because it felt like the right thing to do and it still feels like the right thing to do today. Ian Holloway understood that and he knew what I was about and he understood what I was trying to stand for in that moment. He didn't want to punish me. But then the board and like Les, like Les said, when I was with Ian Holloway, says, you know, they wanted two weeks. But I said, no, no, just, just give them a week. And I was at that point, like, I just, my whole body just exited the club because he, he was talking about it, the tone of it was like he was doing me a favour, just give me a week's, just find him a week's wages instead. I said, oh, this, we're missing the point here. And for quite a few times during my time at the club, you know, it felt like they were missing the point with certain things. Like tons of good memories, but say for example, we'd be trying to do new fine systems and they're going down an avenue where if you take a red card and the game's going to cost you money. But then you think, well, what happens if somebody's running through on goal and we're winning in the last minute and you need to take somebody down? Like, does that mean that if you take them down, it's going to cost you? Because if it's going to cost you, you won't take somebody down. So they start missing little bits like that. And I think that was another one of those examples. And for me, I, like, I, was, I was out at that point. I was so fed up. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Because for me, like I say, I do it again and again and again because it felt like the right thing to do because I'm here. I'm representing these players. I'm trying to stick up for somebody. And maybe a different referee wouldn't have sent me off. And in which case, would it be costing me that much money? If the intent was fine, what's the issue? Yeah, no, hundred percent can't can't um, can't disagree with that. I just want to go back when you said like the the you know the, 
the big wigs were sort of, you know, if we lose, they were the ones. Who are you talking about specifically? Are you talking about chairman? Are you talking about? No, uh, it, it was, it tended to be, it tended to be Les that would appear more, you know, if things like Les would come down to the dressing room if we were winning, so on, he'd be high five and all that. But he wouldn't really speak much, but he tended to speak more when we were losing or if he saw something he didn't like. And, you know, that's, that's, that's in some ways fair enough, but you can, you can feel the tone. But as a player, like, when something's a disaster, you know it's a disaster. Like, you're in the dressing room, you're distraught. You feel it, you understand how badly you've played, how bad the result was, how, you know, you need to have a reaction for the next game. Like, it's just, it's like a morgue in there. It's deathly silent. Some people might come out and shout and stuff like this, but you know, you literally know. And that's the same as, say, managers... Who, in th- who people believe have big team talks at halftime and everyone goes and just like find something extra in the second half. You know yourself as a player if you've underperformed in the first half and you want the manager to maybe make a tactical adjustment or something, but he doesn't need to motivate you because if you've got players in your team that need motivation when they've played badly in the first half, like you've just got the wrong players. The right players know that they want to play better and the game's not done at halftime. So let's go out, let's go and do something. But that always happens on the field. So, yeah, like people would come down and they'd, they'd be shouting, ranting, raving, saying you this, you guys are shambles, that. But like, what difference did it make? Because players themselves, they knew. Like, what, what, what was the value? I find it really weird that the, the manager would put up with that. I mean, maybe he didn't have a choice. I mean, to me, it's like the, the dressing room is like a sanctuary for the players yeah. and the manager, whether he's, you know, throwing teacups and, or, or just having a, you know, it seems, it seems weird that you get, I know they're connected with the club, but other people would be, yeah, it's it. You know, the, the worst thing about that actually was like, you know, those guys that can be connected, the manager, director of football, in theory, they're all working together and there are other people like that. So they would be able to come in. But when the team's under pressure, not performing well, if the director of football comes in, the director of football, whatever, like I'm not talking about less specifically, but that person's not going to lose their job. It's going to be the manager. So that's when it feels like it's sort of undermining, because if they're always coming in when things are wrong, then the more times you see them, the more you're thinking, well, my job's on the line here. You know? mm. And as well with um, with Tony at the time, Tony Fernandez. Like I think I think he's changed a little bit over the years. But like you'd be catching the criticism on Twitter as well because he was very good at responding to fans who had who had critiques and so on. So it was just you could always at the club. Like I saw, I ended up seeing um, Mark Hughes, Harry Redknapp, Chris Ramsey, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Uh, there was Neil Warnock for a short spell. Andy and Holloway, that's six managers in six and a half years. And you could always tell when they were going to be leaving based on, say, certain things that would be happening at the club. Say, the more times you see this person, the more tweets you're seeing that going out. And that, like, that's a really, really weird situation to be in. I think, I think there's one game I, I remember, I was told about this, Ned, and I can't remember if he played or not, was when we were away to Brentford and we were losing and there was three different team talks by three different people. Now, I have no idea if that's true. That came from someone on the Brentford side of things. Well, um, possibly, because for those like West London derbies, they would get quite emotional, which is, you know, it's fair enough to a certain extent. But to give you um, an insight, I think I think this is in the book. But if you're not, you know, you're going to have to read it yourself to find out. Hint, hint. Um, there was a point well, no, where... Don't you worry. There was, there was a point where we had, um, I think it was Kevin Bond... Um, Joe Jordan and Steve Cottrell and each one of them I think they were the three they each had 20 minutes each basically in a training session to do whatever they wanted to do but the three things at times were never linked because they didn't necessarily always see eye to eye on things 
<laughs> so, so again, imagine as a player like this. Oh, it, like I'm not, I'm literally not trying to be critical of QPR, but there was times when the club was so dysfunctional, but still you were just there. You know what I mean? And you just have to play. But there were things like that, like times when, you know, we had, um, I think it was when Chris Ramsey was manager and I think he's better now, but there were certain things he was doing where people didn't like, where he didn't really understand what it looked like from the outside. Cause say we'd come out to training and the training session wouldn't be set up because he hadn't necessarily come in yet. But every manager you've ever, you never, as a player, you should never see the manager come nor go because it means that they're leaving too soon and they're arriving too late. Like you just come in and the manager's just there. For all you know, he might live at the, he might live at the training ground. But for Chris, like he was one of the last people to arrive. So it meant when you go out to do a session, there's not, nothing there. So you question immediately, like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? There's lots of, lots of things like that. And I think you got better in time. But all these things matter, like all these little details matter. You know what I mean? But other clubs, and I, speaking to somebody who'd been to other clubs at that point, it was very different. QPR was very different. So even though we had the Premier League badge on our shoulder, it was not the same experience as other places. I hear you. It wasn't the same in Terrace. You know, sometimes I can flip and tell you, Jeeves. Now, yeah. there's also, I don't know if you noticed this, Chris. You might have noticed it. Ned am I. I don't know, maybe. Two, three, well, 10 years ago this week, Mm. Wee bit of a game going on, and I uh, see that Man City have released a cape that's got hoops on it. I'd like to think that was a wee bit of a thank you to us. Um, <laughs> you maybe, you know, maybe, and, yeah. And they're the building a statue of um, Jimmy Mack. No, Aguero, sorry. Aguero, that, was it. <laughs> now, that must have been the weirdest thing for you, because you never had the fact, that's what I like about yourself, that you're a City fan and you, yeah, grew, up, yeah. and you grew up, but you just joined QPR and yep. here you are. But you would never have known that you were a City fan that day. You were chasing everyone yeah, around that pitch. It must have been the most bizarrest game, the most strangest day for you. Talk us through it from your perspective that whole uh, day. It was, it was completely bonkers, to be honest. But I can, I need to take you back further because sure. when it started to get really weird was after Gibraltar scored against Stoke the week before. Yeah. You know, that was the eventual goal that kept us up. But that's when we was like, oh, we've got a chance. This is it, last minute. And even after he scored, I remember Stoke had a long throw available. But Delap had a sore shoulder. So he, he did the shortest throw of his life and we cleared it and the game was over. It's like, oh, excitement. This is a big moment. But from that point, this was me now going back to play against City for the very first time. Like I'd never, I'd never experienced that before. I'd never even crossed my mind. I didn't know how it was going to go. But I knew that, say, for example, I didn't like, I didn't like a lot of the coaching staff that were there because they were very hostile to me and lots of others um, that were still at the club. So I was thinking like, I was thinking of worst case scenarios more than the best case scenario. So I thought, right, I'm going to be at this stadium and I'm going to get relegated by this manager who at the time I hated, I hated Roberto Mancini. And I'm going to be relegated by people who were more than my teammates. They were my friends in a stadium, which I used to call home, which I used to go to before I was playing and then spent like eight years playing in. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to make, uh, like I just break out in sweats, like on a Tuesday afternoon, just thinking, oh my God, what, what's going on here? And then when the game came, I got to the stadium and it's the most familiar place, probably on planet Earth outside of my own home. Like I, I know where to go, the people that are going to be on the gate, people are going to be on reception, who's at the bottom of the stairs, except I turned right this time instead of left. And even for all I knew, there wasn't actually a dressing room down there. So people just disappeared <laughs> into the abyss. But now, but now here I was in the abyss. So I said uh, hello to some of my old teammates and stuff. And I'll be completely honest with you. At the time, I wasn't, like, I wanted to stay at QPR, but I wanted to stay at QPR in the premiership. 
because I never joined to play in the championship. I'd never done it to that point. And the people that that three, four months when I was there, there were lots of there were lots of highs come the end, but there were some significant lows, like people fighting on the training ground, everything like it was bonkers. So the people who were at QPR, like they were my teammates more so than my friends. I hadn't had that affinity yet because we were losing pretty much every other week at least. And that's a stressful environment. You don't really engage with people like that, especially when you're new. But then I saw all those other people playing for City and I knew them all intimately because I've known them for years. I've done stuff with them outside of just playing. And the ball, ref blows a whistle. And now it's like, they're coming towards me. Like there's 50,000 people hoping that they do a job. It was so, so surreal. And that I remember at halftime, I think we were down because um, I think Bolton were leading at Stoke and we were 1-0 down to Pablo Zabaleta, obviously, you know, the top goal scorer. And that was like, this is bonkers. The whole thing was bonkers. And I'll be honest, I didn't even know how to celebrate our goals because I didn't want to be disrespectful because this is how young and naive I was. Like, oh, God, I don't want to upset anybody here. Like, at the end of the day, who cares? Like, as I got off, like, who cares, honestly? But mm. I played the game because I didn't want to get relegated. And the reason I came to QPR was to stay in the Premier League. So I'm going to do everything I can to do that. And some people, like up here, they say, oh, you know, it was you that tried to slide on Aguero. I said, no, that's Ty Taiwo. Like, that's him firstly. But one thing that was me, which I discovered this week, was um, somebody asked me, "Did you? when did you know that uh, we were safe at QPR? And I said, after the third goal went in. But I've looked back at the footage, which somebody sent me, and the bench was celebrating as I had the ball in my hands for the throw-in that led to the goal that went 3-2. And I had no idea. I was none the wiser. And if I was, I probably would have celebrated and never thrown the ball in. Literally. <laughs> but instead, I threw the ball in. We lost it. And I was panicking, running back, thinking, oh, my God, if they score here, it's over. It's over. And lo and behold, they score. And I went from the lowest point of my career thinking I've now cost us our place in the Premier League to all of a sudden the highest, like we've stayed up in the last minute. And I'm just in Manchester because I was home. Like after the game, you know, the guys were getting on the bus and they were going to get the train down south. My house is 15 minutes from that stadium. <laughs> I, was in, I was in dreamland. Everything that could have gone right basically went right. And then, you know, in time, you know, you realise like how important a game that was for the Premier League. But I always make sure people know the QPR story as well, because whenever I tell it, I say, hey, listen, for us, the big one was the week before when Gibral Cissé scored against yeah. Stoke, because that's a significant part of that story. And even City fans were confused because they'll run up to me and say, oh, we've done it. We've done it. I was like, yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, we stayed up. We stayed up. And they're like, well, what, what are you talking about? Sorry, Chris. You must have thought we were mad then, because if you looked to the corner, well, we were all, we were all celebrating, Chris, weren't we? We were all going bananas. Yeah, yeah. You can't, but the thing is, you can't like... When you're in the game, like there's no time to even look around, especially for that moment because it was so stressful. You're thinking to yourself, like, like what am I? You see, everyone's got a score, a scoreboard in a stadium, but it always stops at ninety. Why can't yeah. it continue? You never know how long's left. Once stoppage, once the board goes up and you're playing in stoppage time, you never know. If you did, you'd probably play the game a bit differently. But instead, you're panicking. Is it ten seconds left? Is it a minute? Is it two minutes? Like, referee, how long, how long? And they never really tell you because they're just like part of the drama, aren't they? Oh, it's as long as I need. Oh, cheers, mate. Um, so, yeah, if I would have seen you, it would have been great. But then I'd also suggest that my head wasn't in the game. Because, listen, if I can miss people five yards away from me going nuts because we stayed up, there's a good chance I won't be looking up in the stands either. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's classic sliding doors, isn't it? I mean, it could. there's so many different scenarios there. But say it, we had held on. Yeah. The, the throwing had just, you know, 
ad- ad- worked ad- out, yeah. Edition, blown the whistle. I mean, again, you've got it's kind of conflicting because obviously you're delighted QPR stayed in the Premier League, you're staying with QPR. Yeah, that's proud. All your that's, mates, yeah. all your family. Yeah, delighted your, for me, yeah. Your team has stopped City yeah. winning, the, winning the league. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, they wouldn't be celebrating that bit. We'd try and turn our back on that bit. But the, the whole thing, like I was at QPR, like that was the most important mm. thing. If anybody yeah. needed to be taken down or anything like that, like that's what it would be. Because my affinity to the club at that point, like it was irrelevant. And I'd also say as well, as a player, especially in like the middle of your career, it's very hard to, to still support a football club if it's not the club that you're playing at. Because at the end of the day, like you're kind of playing against them and you mm-hmm. can't really, like someone said, oh, well, if you knew then, you just throw them the ball. I said, absolutely not. Because I've got personal pride and you play the game to win. You play the game to not be losing on a week-to-week basis because then it's just the most stressful job going, I'd say. Now, now, now that you've, you've, you've retired and you're doing... A wee bit in the radio. I turned the wireless on then again. Then I know you were on the morning talking about big things, you know. Yeah, think, yeah of course. You know, yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah, now you can tell the truth. What was going through Joey Barton's mind that day? I know, I know that you're not a big fan of Joey, but I just, I, I still can't get my head around what the hell was going through his mind because it's probably the biggest game that we had that season. Yeah, that what you've just said there is exactly how I feel about it, and it's the biggest game we had that season. Everything led to that point. And for all the issues and stuff that I had with Joey about his worldview and the like, you know, he's a, he was a good player for QPR. He was a very significant player. You couldn't, you could drop him in that time. Like, obviously he went to Marseille the next year, but you could drop all the years when he was playing, you could drop him and we're not necessarily getting better if he doesn't play. So he's a significant part of the club. He's got a ton of Premier League experience. So why would that happen in the biggest, in the biggest moment? Like that really blew my mind. And I think you can sort of tell how people felt about it by looking who was there to support him when it went wrong. Cause he was very much on an Island. There might be one or two people that went over, but for the rest of us, you're thinking that why, what, like we're away at Man City needing results to stay in the Premier League. You'd probably argue you need 12 men, let alone 10, you know? So he just, I don't know. It's weird, but that's, that's who he is. I don't know. He probably doesn't regret it or anything. And he probably feels he was misunderstood, which is, which is his opinion. Like we, I disagree on a ton of opinion. Like we have a ton of opinions where we don't align and so on, but it was crazy. And the one thing which I really disagreed the most about it, I think a few years later, he spoke about how he was so upset that people were celebrating at the end of that game. And in perspective, I sort of realized that the reason people were celebrating was because for some of that squad, that's the highest they ever finished in a football pyramid. And when we stayed up that day, it wasn't about finishing 17th, it was about staying in the Premier League. Staying in the Premier League meant that most of the squad were able to maintain their salaries and not have their salaries halved. People who worked at the stadium were able to maintain their jobs. People who worked at the training ground could maintain their jobs. You know, it's more than just football. So there's mm. more to celebrate than just that result itself. And like I say, it's not about the 17th, but when all of a sudden you come into the last day, you need to stay in the Premier League. If you stay in the Premier League, you'll finish there. And that's worth celebrating. And I think it's just, it was a shame because I think he just... I don't know. Like he's he had he's always had very high thoughts of himself. He's been very ambitious, but I think at times he just, in my opinion, he just lacks a sense of perspective and a different point of view about certain things because he he definitely believes in his own. But I think he if he understood more other people's more, I think he'd had more of a buy-in from those people who we've worked with him across those years. Well, the thing is, as fans, we were we were certainly celebrating. It was it was yeah. weird loving, like from the other perspective on the terraces. Yeah, it was, it wasn't um, when it was two one, Christopher. No, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know that. I was. I was just going to come to that, Paul. All right, mate. But yeah. I mean, it went from you know. I mean, you know, if they, it, you know, if we hadn't been separated, there would a few um, 
might have been a few casualties that day. Yeah, for sure. When that whistle went, you had this weird thing where Man City fans were singing You Are Staying Up, QPR fans (laughs) were singing Blue Moon. Um, And and, and it it, it was like one massive loving. It was like being at a rave back in the... uh, back in the early 90s exactly exactly and that's that's why it ended up being the greatest moment for me because the two clubs who i was directly associated with were all having a great time yeah and also um the day we stayed up i've just gone and got this i don't know if you'll be able to read that but <laughs> yes Keep okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i like it I that's like what it. that's what i was wearing the night after we won after we uh, sorry after we stayed up because i keep no, remembering no, we didn't win we definitely lost that game but we definitely <laughs> stayed up but it felt like a win. I mean, and guess what? Absolute Bindlid decided to drive that day, oh, and then they had no. to drive back. To, yeah, drive back to Barnet, and then got smashed. But hey ho! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> got there. The weird, thing, the weird, the weird thing about Rangers and City fans, Chris, you'll know this as well. We had a similar type of journey. Um, mm. Both in the Premier League, both went down the leagues, both didn't have money, but, and we had quite a good affinity with City. You know, apart mm. from when Jimmy Pollock relegated at them. Which yeah, 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 that was a bad moment. So we always, and then we played Man U um, when um, Sean was sent off, and we mm. were absolutely hammering the Man U fans about with the league for C. They weren't happy. And I'm just thinking if, you know, <laughs> if, if anything in our life has ever achieved that day, we pissed off 75,000. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Going no, back to the t shirt, that was that they were being sold in the weeks before the game. Um, and I was going to buy one for that game, um, and they were going for ten of each, I think. And I refused, steadfastly refused to buy one because I thought it jinxed us. And I finally bought one. I said I wouldn't buy one until we stayed up. And I, I bought one. They were knocked down to a fiver. Then outside the ground, <laughs> the same one. And I had it. I had it on that night because I stayed at a mates in Manchester. And of course, again, you did. You're sensible. Yeah. Again, it was all sort of all sort of loving. And and then finally, I was just I just walked outside and there was a Man City fan arguing with his girlfriend and I was like, you know, a couple of beers. I said, come on, Lance, you know, I've got this top on. Uh, come on, you know, it's, you know, you should be celebrating. He was like, piss off, you cockney wanker. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> Normal service has been resumed. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. It's all over now. Yeah, it's all, all over. it lasted. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing being for Belfast. I always confuse people because they say that because if you don't mind, it's a Belfast wanker. I, you know, I hate to be technical, <laughs> but I do like the geographical thing to be correct. Of course. Of course. The, the um, other thing... The, the books, the books out there, and I, I understand the reasons why you, you you you're right there. But it is for, for obviously there's not a lot of Man City fans listening to this at the moment. Although there might be after what you just said about the manager. But hey, we'll just go with that. No, no, there's plenty of that in the book. Don't worry about it. <laughs> this will be very very apparent in the coming weeks. Trust me. Oh, good man, Rangers. Um, what I know you're probably going on about the book. I'll, I'll go into, but what is your memories? I know you said there's some up and down ones, but. I thought you got us. Do you know what I mean? You 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 got the, the fans. Maybe not yeah. the balls so much, but you definitely got the yeah. mentality of the fan. Yeah, I, I I think I think I think I got it in time. And that's I think what's missing because I think the fans have a clear identity, but at times the sort of work inside of the football club didn't. You know, so you need to have people who wanna come and play for the club, regardless of the fact that it's in West London. You know, you want to understand the history, understand the size of the club for what it is right now, not what, you know, you think the money will turn it into. And I think once you start to sort of figure it out, understand what they want to see, like understand why Jamie Mackey meant so much to the fans, but then so did the Delta Rats. You know, there's a lot to see there. You know, that's it's like, it does, that doesn't make sense unless you really start to think about it and figure out what they liked about both because the two shouldn't necessarily be loved by fans in the same sort of way, yet still they are. Um, so I, I, I got it. And when I came, 
I didn't really understand it. And I'll be perfectly honest, and you'll see this in the book, like I was a proper, proper Northern boy and I didn't want to travel down South. I didn't love London. And when I first was told that this is where I'm going to be going, like I was happy to get the chance to play football again. But in the same breath, I was like, how am I going to like exist in London? This place that's like the bottom of my list in terms of places to live. But you get it. You understand West London. You understand what it is to play for the club. You understand what it is when you arrive at the stadium, the hope, the belief, the sort of despair, the dysfunction. It could be a lot, lot better, but it's still a great opportunity. Like I ended up playing four seasons, I think, in the championship when I was a QPR and I had no ambitions of doing so. But then I look back and it's 220 something games as a professional and for maybe 90 of those games as, as a captain. You know, it is pride and fans for the fans to understand what you stand for by the end of it. It's, you know, it's incredible because I remember the first year I was captain, there was somebody that was just always throwing pelters at me saying, oh, you're a terrible captain. You know, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. But I was like taking it personally because the players loved me as captain. You know, mm. I, was do- I was doing it for them. But when you're being heckled and there was always a woman as well that would always be shouting, get it forward, get it forward. And he's like, oh, God, like... If once it goes forward, what happens next? You know what I mean? <laughs> but in the end, it's just it's just what it is. And like I get, I think I understand the fans. I think the club's identity itself, in terms of how they want to find success, I think it's closer today to what it should be than what it was when I was there. But they 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 there's a lot of good people there. A lot of good people mean well. I don't think everybody else is there. I don't think everybody at the club, in my opinion, is a really good person. But you can play there, you can have a good career, you can have good moments. And for me, like the playoff final, one of the highlights of my whole career, when Bobby slammed that in, uh, I'd say the set, the second leg of the semi-final against Wigan, arriving at the stadium, and there's like hundreds of fans outside the stadium. Absolutely incredible, like hairs on the back of your neck type stuff. And also knowing that you're going to win a game was that second leg against Wigan because the fans were all so good. Bobby's like, Bobby Zamora's destroying the centre-back. Like, that was, it just felt inevitable. And as a player, having that feeling of inevitability on the field is so rare, but it came because of everything coming together in that moment. You know, that was an incredible couple of weeks. And so those sorts of memories, it's not a 50, 60,000 seat stadium. It's not the Champions League. It's not anything like that. But it's still one of the reasons why you sort of dream of being a professional and to feel that to understand the fans, to celebrate with them, to know where to celebrate, to know what they wanted to see, to see young players coming through and to try and help the club along that journey and help those guys. Like, looking back, absolutely, like, I love it. There were so many lows, so many lows, because we got relegated twice, you know, involved in three relegation dogfights. But so what? You know what I mean? It was just, I was proud to be there. I was proud to work it out with whoever the manager was and to be trusted and respected by my peers, by the management by the fans like you're ticking off every box so for me it was it was fantastic yeah no I mean I, I think Loftus Road is one of those grounds it's very compact and and, and, and while you can hear it's people who are disgruntled you can hear the woman saying get it forward all the time yeah and also when the fans come together and when they're singing chief or when they're just yeah it's incredible rallying that there's no, there's very few grounds like it. it's like old-fashioned yeah right on top people of, people who I spoke to who played at City they said they love coming there it wasn't necessarily because oh, okay. it wasn't because they were getting the points or the results, but it's for the atmosphere because it's different because they're right there. You know what I mean? And in those games against City as well, I think in some ways this is a bit of the mentality about a QPR fan. They're the underdog. You know, QPR mm. as an underdog is a different feel to QPR believing that they're a favourite. 
because then everybody's you know what I mean exactly but when you're an underdog against like a significant underdog and you've got a grasp you've got a grasp of the game you tackle someone tackles flying in or somebody's just been you've just skinned someone or you're getting a few corners like come on like that's awesome that feeling is awesome and like Loftus Road gave a ton of that in key moments I I think that sums QPR that that season in the Premier League the first one was you know getting getting hammered um, beating Chelsea beating Mm. Liverpool beating Arsenal beating Tottenham the Man City day and a lot in between which was just standing there going Jesus we're we're getting absolutely tanked yeah exactly you know, and that, and that was it. But can I just make one thing clear, um, Nedim? The wee Irish voice of the away games that was showing, are you sure you can't play for Northern Ireland, was me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, okay. the funny thing is, I could have done. because I, no! like, Yeah, because, like, for me, I don't, I've got a British passport. It's not, like, one where I was born in England. So I could have represented any of the whole nations. But, interestingly, none of them seem to find my number for the 16 years. So, no. here's what it is. Person. <laughs> oh, don't get into that. Don't get into Devastated. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I'm enjoying life now, so I'm happy. It's all good. You could have you could, gone to Belfast and had a, a chip supper. Well, I could have done, and I can still do that now, but just not playing the football. See, that's the beauty of life, isn't it? I hear you. I just wanted Sorry, to go Chris. back to, because um, obviously, you know, that Wigan game, Charlie Austin, um, we had Charlie on the podcast last week, and it was it was very emotional. Um, he cried. Saying, saying his, he did cry. He did cry. Saying his goodbyes. Um, and, and his contract situation reminded me a little bit of yours. Um, mm. I think he was on a he was on a two year deal, but the second year was subject to appearances. Yeah. And I, 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 he basically felt let down. He felt um, because again, like yourself, he's he, he's one of the he's one of the names that trip off the tongue as people mm. you know who've served QPR well. Um, and yeah, I just because because other people were saying. Oh, get over it. Alan McDonald was just let go and blah blah blah, man up, that sort of thing. But mm. I don't know. I felt I, I, I felt really sorry for him. And, and okay, he didn't have a great season in terms of goals, but I, I, I just I just left a bit of a sound yeah. taste in the mouth. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I see that with Charlie because you know he did so well for us when he first signed um all those years ago. And he's probably not had his best season, but the the likely reasons for that. And I think when you feel somewhere is your home. And they basically reject you. Like, you've got no say. You know, like, this, the conversations we have in football about loyalty, when you hear players saying they want to leave, they want to do this and want to do that. Well, how about the conversation when players say they want to stay and the club say, no, you've got to go? You know, that's a whole different conversation which never seems to come forward. Like, that, in some ways, is heartbreaking. Like, I felt that. Definitely less at QPR because at the time, you know, I wasn't happy with how certain things were going. But that's what I felt when I was leaving Man City because Man- it wasn't just City. Like, Manchester was my home. I'd never been anywhere else. And now I was being told that I have to go and there's nothing I can do about it. Like it changes your whole world. Like for Charlie, he's probably, he's got his house probably somewhere in, in West London or just outside the 25. You make, you make plans. This is, this is where you want to be for lots of different reasons. And it's sometimes more than just stuff on the field. You're familiar with Cat the kit man, you know, Caroline, when you walk in, Andy Belk, people like this, like, they're basically like family because you spend more time with them than you do with your family. Mm. So then when they say, well, no, that, you know, it's not for us. You got to go somewhere else. Or they don't even say it in that manner. It shocks you. When you know it's coming, it's different. When it comes out of the blue, like it cuts you really deep. But that's when football is very much a business. And then QPR, you know, they've got this strategy. I let's do other clubs. They might want to go younger. They might want to do this. And then it's that point of realizing like, where am I? Because say for me as well, when I left QPR in 2018, as I say, I got this player of the year award. I had a good season. 
everything was nice. So I thought, well, if QPR are going to let me go, then I'm sure I'll have lots of offers. Mate, nothing. Ghost town. Nothing whatsoever. But it's because I was 31 years of age and I was coming from QPR and people thought, oh, he's probably going to be too expensive. But for me, I never cared about money. But I just mm-hmm. ended up in a position whereby people would now believe that's all I cared about because of the time of my arrival at the football club. So you know what I mean? Like, so there's a lot of football doesn't have to make sense to anybody else apart from the ones you make decisions for football clubs. And for anyone else, you're just part of that journey. I think, I think, I think looking back at this season now, Chris, I don't know if you get the same thoughts. Maybe Charlie was upset as well because no one talked to him from January, it seems. Mm. No, no one gave him an indication at him. But also in that contract where you play so many games. And then you start playing all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people no, don't know it just, I hate, do you know what? That thing there, like, it frustrates me a bit because I, I think I signed a deal like that with QPR as well for that last season. And you're just concerned, like, are they going to, are they going to stiff me here? Doesn't matter how well yes. you're doing, they might just make the decision that, yeah, we, we're just going to protect ourselves, but we're not going to play in that many games. And you think that's like, that's not in the spirit of the game. It's not in the spirit of like having a player who you want to say you care about. But you've got you've got no say in it. And at the time when you put it into your contract, it always feels like a figure which you'll be able to hit and you'll be fine with it and you're excited about hitting it. Then before you know it, you can't hit it because, oh, yeah, you know, looks like you're a bit tired today. Probably just take a seat. Oh, I'm going to go with such and such today. And that's the this is like the media stuff that I do. Like, I'm glad you made that point, because this is part of the media thing that I do, whereby I try and put forward a more realistic view of what football is, because some mm. of the people who talk about it, they talk about it from their perspective. But for them, like when you're talking about say Rios to a certain extent or say other people like that or Gary Neville, like failure to them was not winning four games in a month. But the reality is, because I, I remember before I came to QPR, because of the stuff I used to watch on TV, match of the day and the like, I always used to be like critical of people who celebrated finishing 17th on the last day. That's just what I thought, because how can you celebrate that? Then you live it. I celebrate that a thousand times over because that's a stressful situation. So many different perspectives, so many people doing different things like, a team's playing a certain way, not because they don't have the heart. They're playing a certain way because that's the strategies the managers put forward and the players are staying true to each other and to the manager by attempting it. And it doesn't mean it's yeah. going to be successful because both teams enter the weekend with a game plan. But it doesn't literally, both can't be successful at the same time. Yet still you're being judged by it according to the perception of a guy who, you know, never finished lower than third. Oh, just look at them. Like, they're not going out and pressing. So they've got no heart. They're so naive. What are they thinking about? doing right by the person that's in charge of them there's no malintent they're not being lazy they're doing what's being asked of them and that's the thing really because you you will get judged by your manager but nobody sees that you get judged by the outside and everybody sees that and all of a sudden the perception around you now exists because that like i've been on sorry i'm off on a tangent here but but i've been on match of the day one time and as i was we were covering two games I think maybe two games it was. And as we're watching the games, I'm hearing the people around me who are going to be on the show trying to create, they're creating little pockets. They're getting little clips of things which they think are important. And I didn't agree with probably three quarters of them. But that's what they were seeing was right. And I'd push back on some of it. But those little clips there, that's all people are going to see because that's all it's going to be spoken about. And then some of them, they're missing the point. So I don't know how I arrived at this point, but just know that, as I say, there's not, if somebody doesn't like your club, for example, good luck to you. Because every time somebody sneezes, you say, ah, you see, you should have covered their mouth. You know what I mean? There's, there's stuff like that. It's, it's relentless out here. 
I think, I think people just look for a scapegoat. So the trouble with QPR at that time is you had a dress room that was probably fragmented to death. Um, yeah, for lots of different reasons, by the way. But go on. Yeah, absolutely. And then you had the likes of yourself, your, your, your G Macca. You had a lad with God-given talent that I've never seen before in adult rap. Yeah. And yet had the, the, the brains. I, do you know, I tell the story, don't believe me. I was driving past, the, we were in a flower shop, was doing a, at an event in the hotel, I was driving back, and there was a Dale at Edgeware Road about two o'clock morning having a like, sheesh bar. Yeah. And I said, I said to him, yeah. I said to him, that's I don't he goes, don't be stupid, he's a professional football. Man. It's I, I think I know the fellow who wants to be Saturday. Yeah. He um Adele, Adele, what he used to do, he used to sleep during the day and then stay up at night and regularly just be coming straight from wherever he's been to come to the training ground. And that was just his lifestyle at the time. Like to before anyone starts getting too angry, he's a completely different person now because they had to adapt mm. to the way of life that they have as a footballer in Portugal, in Italy. And for some that's the best thing that could have happened to him. Remember talking to him recently. He's like, he's a completely different guy. He's getting up early. He's doing the breakfast. He's doing the pre-training stretching. He's doing a session work. And I like Adele Tarapt is a holding midfielder. Yeah, I think that. But like an active running around, big tackling, holding midfielder. So if you don't think something's changed to him, <laughs> listen, just just picture that from when you when you were last seeing Adele play uh, on the wing for uh, for QPR. You know, I, th- I noticed that. I also um, read an interview that he did, and he's completely different. And listen, when I was his age, when I was young, I was a massive Egypt, as yeah. they say back home. So if we're allowed to go to journey, we're allowed to, where we start the journey, it's where you finish the journey that matters. But I'll tell you what, Nedim, he could have played for Madrid. Yeah, he could have done. He could, he could have done, but, that, but that's, that's, that's unfortunately, like, the way that a lot of these stories go, because of the fact that, you know, you need to have those lessons on board, but he was never going to get those lessons at QPR because he was just so much better than everybody else and so young. If he yeah. was just like everybody else, then he'd be treated like everybody else. But instead, people were to make sure that he was okay because he could be the difference all the time. Like, he, you put him and his talent into, say, some of the places that he's been in the last five, six years, and he's 21. By the time he's 22, 23, 24, he's a completely different player because it's not just about what your ceiling is. It's about making sure that your like average or lowest bit is still of the highest standard. Like you can't be different to the rest. You have to work hard because everybody works hard. But for Adele, because of his ability, and like I say, because he was just so much better than everybody else when he was at QPR, like he, he could, you know, he could be late and someone's worried about upsetting him because then maybe he won't score a goal on the weekend. And I think that's the worst thing that could have happened to him. And also to, to go back to the bit about the dressing room being fragmented, People are saying this now about Man United, you know, the dressing room's bad and so on. But nobody was saying that last season when they finished second. I think dressing rooms can get bad when you're losing games all the time and you don't expect to be. Because as a group of, you're basically like a group of like 20 individuals. And when you're winning, that's what you share. You enjoy it. You enjoy football. But when you're losing, the 20 individuals all have different ideas about what's going to, what needs to change for you to be successful again. And that's when it can get quite hard because then as well as trying to figure out what's going, what you need to do to go right, start sort of pinpointing what you think's going wrong. And when it's football, there are 11 people on the field and some people can be very cynical about others thinking they're not pulling their weight, even though they're, they are doing themselves. Madam, just, I'm, I'm, I've got to dash out in a minute because I've got to put my daughter to bed. Um, but I just wanted, before I go, just um, bringing this up to date, Mark Warburton, first of all, d- d- yeah. in your view, do you think he should have been sacked? I, I, I think, I think um, three quarters of the fan base possibly think he shouldn't. And... Um, 
who do you think do you think that the next manager should basically fit into QPR style of play rather than the other way around because it seems like we've we've chopped and same changed so many times we just go from one style to another I think with Mark Warburton I think he had like a significant pedigree across like many years like playing against his sides back in the day like he was good they played in a certain style it was good and I think for me, the biggest thing was the fact that I was happy that he stayed for long enough at QPR to be able to see his style on the field. Because I think at times the club would have been guilty of giving people essentially not long enough. Because like if it's a rebuild, then when things start going wrong, there's still time for it to go right, but only if you allow them to do it. Whereas I think at times at QPR, in my opinion, there were times where we probably pulled the trigger just that bit too fast. But some of that comes from, you know, pressure from outside and so on and, and all that jazz. But he had a chance and the team played in that image. And I think they played some good football. They weren't perfect. But then you look at the sort of makeup of the squad. It's not like you're paying every player 20, 30,000 pounds a week and they're all finished products. And that's what he's done. So he's essentially built a style of play based around young players. And it was exciting. You know, some scored some good goals, some good play and stuff like that, whether it was Willie, Achilles, you know, even your handsome people like that. So I think it's a shame that he's going. But then I think... I say I think, you know, maybe I've got some inside information, but I'll say I think, I think they're going to be going for people now who are going to be building something long-term in theory. So don't expect to see like a really obvious name or anything like that. And I think for the youthful nature of the squad, I think, wink, wink, perhaps it's only going to get younger. So what success looks like going forward, I'm not sure, but it seems like they're going to be taking on like an actual rebuild now. Obviously, things change if you're doing well in the first half of the season. But I think now the clubs, they've tried with other things. And I think it's, I think they're going to potentially pull things back just a little bit. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think Liam Manning, um, MK Don's been, been mm. touted quite strongly. Um, and mm -hmm. I've seen of them, their play. I mean, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But mm. well, listen, guys, I've got to go. Lovely to see you, Adam. Absolute um, pleasure, you, yeah. Can you, keep, can you keep the recording going for a second? Yes, I will do. And, and, and I'll just finish up. And don't forget to don't forget to tell everyone the name of your book, where they can get oh, it. Of course, yeah, of course, of course. See you later. Take care. Yes, yeah. Before we wrap up, big man, thank you again for coming on. But the, the we should really mention the name of your book. I know what it's called. So I'm for the dear listener who doesn't know, what's the book called? It's called Kicking Back, and it's available May 17th. Like, I'm in this position. We're recording early. I don't know when this is going out, but we're recording before it. So we're in the pre-order section, and pre-orders are available on Amazon, WH Smith, basically wherever you get books from. And just know that when it does come out, you want to read it because the certain aspects of it will be spoken about. There will be some section in there where I think you'll gain insight into your beloved football club and yeah, know, some of the highs, some of the lows, some of the dysfunction. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's some of the things that I've seen along the journey, which was a uh, which was a lot of fun. Well, I'll be I'll be I'll be taking the grease with me, big bud, and I'll be reading that. And um, you you never know. It's it's just you know it's just nice to have an honest football because a lot of autobiographies tend to be the same sort of thing. Yeah. I got injured. I could yeah. have done this. I could have done that. So uh, I'm, sis, I'm, it's, it's like sorry to jump in. Like I didn't no, want right, to do. Right. I didn't. I didn't want to do another autobiography, which is just about like I played this game that season. I did that game that season. And don't get me wrong, certain games will be mentioned in there because they have to because of the nature of them. Mm -hmm. But it's it's wider than that. It's not necessarily always run in a chronological way. And I think it. Well, obviously, I'm a bit biased, but I think it's I think it's really interesting because I've seen a lot in my time and said very little. But over the last year, two years, I'm being told to provide more insight and share stories. And the response that I get when I do that 
is kind of one of the reasons why the book came out or the book is coming out rather. And I think it's a fair depiction of very significant times, which were shared by a lot of people. So, you know, when you, when you read it, like guys should be reaching out, telling me what they think about certain moments, which they perceive one way or another. And just understand that like, there's more to football than just what you see on a Saturday on for 90 minutes. You know, there's a lot more nuance to it. Exactly. And the other thing is as well, there's, it's it's the, the difficult side of 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 being a, a footballer of this country as well is that especially the last few years now we're talking about racism again we're yeah. trying to get rid of it we're trying to you know you see it in social media you see yeah. it in Twitter you hear it in the stands I, I, I'm embarrassed at what, what are we now 2022 none of them are we yeah, yeah we alleged, are. allegedly yeah allegedly yeah, and it still goes on and it, it saddens me it really yeah. does and I, I just can't get my head on why it still exists I mean Hopefully you didn't suffer too much during your time at, in, as a footballer, but sadly, look at the social media. No yeah, it, the only, the thing, like, I had, a, I had a private account on social media and it's because you don't want to interact with people who are absolute clowns. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a sad situation because I'll be honest with you, I want to interact with people. I really, really do. Because when every, t- every time you speak to me, like, this is what I'm like. When I speak to people, I don't really know. Like, this is what I can be like. But then you know that for some people, they just want you to be on there so that they can just hurl abuse at you and yeah. all types of abuse. And some of the stuff is, you know, it's really obscene. And, you know, people, some people say racism isn't a thing, but, you know, maybe you need to just change your perspective slightly and understand that the world isn't exactly how you see it through your own eyes. Maybe listen I remember to what, stories, yeah. Sorry, I remember one saying to, on the podcast for enough, I said, the trouble is I've, I've got made of all, descriptions i even know some people who support chelsea but I don't talk to them very often <laughs> good on you yeah I, I, I try not to and i always put that as like you know being irish in the 80s there was a lot of things going on because of the troubles and everything else and being but i was never judged walking up someone's path do, do, do you know what i mean it was yeah. like it was never that full on kind of i would have to speak first before someone took this like on a bound of nothing no choice of an accident of birth you're getting judged as you walk down a road. You're getting judged as you walk into a shop. You've yeah. got five of your mates. You're walking towards someone that's judging it. That's frustrating. Yeah, it's 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 a mess. And then you add in the sort of footballer element, element where, you know, there are tons of reasonable people that do exist within football who understand that the game isn't as easy as everything seems and how it's not just about money. But a lot of those people, like, they understand it. So if you understand, you say nothing. But for the people who don't, they're very, very vocal. And at times, even if it's a minority, like that's still a lot of people. Because I put it into perspective, say if 1% of somebody's following hate him online, like if you've got 100 followers, it's one guy, 100,000. Mm-hmm. Like that's 1,000 people who are very, very loud. You know, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a weird spot we live in, but this is deeper than football. You know, this is just life itself. And tons of people are good. They want to make a difference and so on and understand that like the world isn't perfect. But for those other ones, like I, I would say... I um, I sometimes I appear pessimistic, but I think it's because it's more realistic because I don't think there's enough empathy in the world for things to truly change because you'd need mm-hmm. a lot of people to buy into it for it to be that. Like, even as we're talking now, I, I know there's tons of people who are tuning out because they don't want to hear it. You know, that's the reality of the situation. So then with that, like, how would you bring someone on board? Because you can be emotional about it. You can be sort of very stale, very stale about it. You could write about it. You could show it. But at the end of the day, if it, if it doesn't affect somebody's life, then long term they're not really going to fully fully buy into it, are they i went i remember years ago you know you're, you're, you're right I, mean, I always try and tell this story to people who, who always say to me oh you, 
you don't do anything about racism. You're not of a colour. And I was like, yeah, hang on a second. I do get it. I understand that. I was in it with my mate who I grew up with. We lived in the same state, yeah. more or less. Always hang out together. He is family from, from Barbados. And um, lovely place, but I'm not going there because I get burnt alive. Anyway, <laughs> we um, went to pub and we were told in no uncertain terms we weren't getting served because we were wearing trainers. There's mm. about eight other people in that pub. Yeah. So I did actually ask, I actually asked the, the, the guy who let us, he wouldn't serve us. If it was the Irish guy, the black guy didn't want to serve because we don't want to fall out with each other. Because all we want to do is have a drink, sit down and chat football. And yeah. I remember and, and my mate Dave sadly just turned around. I was used to it. And I'm like, Dave, this is wrong, mate. This is this is just the worst. He goes, nah, so I don't want to drink in the pub anyway. But mm. it, it was kind of he's had that so many times it just was water off a duck's back. And I was like, Yeah, nah. and that's a poor position to be in for sure, yeah. That's when you just accept it. We're just like, yeah, this is just what it is. Like that's when you realize how big the problem is. I hope. Do you know what Nathan? I hope Nathan. I've just changed your name. I was like somebody else there, but yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I think that's me. Let yeah. them. You know, since I've had COVID, my brain's gone to mush. I tell you, but yeah. it's it's funny because what I am aware of. We interviewed you when you were in the states, and it yeah. was just as BLM was hitting. Yeah. The yeah. headlines. That must have been bizarre. Yeah, it was. It was bonkers, and it was because. It was an election year as well. So you had the pandemic, you had social like uprising and you had the election year in US. The USA is a very, very volatile place at the best of times. Mm. So I was taking it all in as a foreigner, knowing that at the end of the year, I was going home as well, but I couldn't escape yeah. it. So it was, it was a crazy, crazy year over there where nothing could be agreed upon or nothing would be agreed upon. Like you could see something that feels really obvious but there'd be a counterpoint to it and everyone get behind it because over there, it's all about teams like not sports teams. Like this is me. This is my identity. I'm Republican. This is my identity. I'm Democrat. And even if a point goes against something you truly believe in, you will just stick with whatever team you go for, you know? And that's like, it was crazy. And looking back, I'm just glad that, you know, nothing happened to my friends, nothing happened to my family because there was a lot of like arguing, a lot of violence, a lot of stuff happening on the streets and the like. Wow. And this was all across America, obviously, but I just kept to myself and just made sure that, you know, we got out in a sane manner. And every time somebody was asking me questions about politics and so on, I just said, well, you know, I can't vote. So, yeah, you know, you just you just talk. You never let them know what you think and just say, yeah, it doesn't matter. I can't vote anyway. So, yeah, you guys just crack on. Yeah. You say, get me to the airport, get me on a plane, get me to Manchester. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me let me just complete the season and then I'll wish you all the very best. Yeah. And I won't be back for a number of years because I'm busy. Don't yeah, ex exactly, exactly. But that's the thing. Like, obviously, that was a dramatization because there are ton, there are like millions upon millions of really, really good people. But then there are also millions more who you probably couldn't disagree with anymore, who will happily find you and disagree with you about everything, like everything. You know what I mean? And that's yeah, that's the danger itself. Yeah. But that goes back to social media. I mean, it's like even doing this wee humble podcast we do, where you know. Listen, I drive a flipping flower van doing weddings and the mitzvahs all day long, and I'm not even, I'm just a football fan. And you get slagged off, and 10 people could say something really nice, but one person says something really bad. You focus yeah. on that. Yeah you, can't, yeah, you can't, you can't escape it. You can't escape it because that, that one there, you know, someone's going out of their way to do that, and you, yeah, you just can't escape weird. it. Like criticism, you know, people say you should be able to accept it, but I think you probably don't accept it more when you disagree with what they're saying. Like as a player, uh, for example, if a manager says, you know, you need to work on your diagonal balls or you need to work on your head in like, you can't really make a case against that. When somebody is just calling you crap, you're a this, you're a whatever, you're blah, blah, blah. 
like you have to you you can't ignore it because it's really frustrating but you can't change their minds you can't prove them wrong so you're trapped in this sort of like helpless position where you're just taken and you can't give back you can't adjust it you can't change their view like why the one of the best things i think has happened um someone might say i'm soft for this but like what was the point in the dislike button on youtube what's the what's mm. the value you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. like if you don't like it just move on like literally that is life you've got like a billion other videos you could watch if i don't like a video i'm like ah, okay i'll just go i'll just watch something else you know what i mean it's just, it's just weird it's weird it's, it's like after this as well people walk up to you and give you opinions of and there's nothing to do with you of like, you're like what like, i've heard your conversation by the way i totally agree with what you're talking about blah 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 and um, you know, and, and parenting skills. People say like, you, "You're not good." You know, if I was that child's father, yeah, or mother, I'm like, "Wow, that's yeah. mad." Yeah, just but well, it just shows anyway. You know, there's the, there are a lot of different types of people out there, and at times that is a strength, but other times I just wish you just wouldn't say anything because there is you know, something to be said about just keep it moving. If you don't like it, off you pop. And this is what football. I hope one day. And it's sad to see that QPR always be a bit dysfunctional. But you always say, just be decent to people. I think in football that would be so much better. The yeah. game would improve so much if people were just decent. There are a lot. There are a lot of people at QPR who are very decent, and a lot of people exactly. who, who are missed to this day. And you take strength from knowing that you do have people in there, because I imagine if if they weren't there, then the place itself would be a nightmare. But through some of those crazy times, you know, we met. I've met some really good people, and I still speak to some of those guys today. So. It's not all doom and gloom. The club oh, is God, the no, club's I mean, all right, yeah. Well, we did with Grenfell and uh, the community and everything else. Rangers are way up there. Sometimes, in a way, from the football thing, it's where the heart of the football club is, you know what I mean? But, yeah, like, we are. Listen, we, as a fan, it drives me mad, but I wouldn't support anyone else there. You know, the same yeah. as when Jimmy Pollock headed that goal in and we stood up and you were probably devastated. We did, <laughs> you know, it's who you support. But, listen, I can't believe you stood on for so long and talked so long, mate. I can't thank you enough. And, you know... All them games you played for QPR, you made a difference and we appreciate it, yeah, no matter right. what is said and done. And I hope you know that. And I hope you know you're always welcome back and we'll see you in the River Eyes, I hope, pretty soon as yeah, well. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And hope the uh, QPR fans understand me more after reading the book. You remember, it's available May 17th. I hope they understand me more and I hope they understand the club more as well. Didn't quite hear you there. What date I think was May, May 17th, you know, it's the, the pre-order now. But yeah, kicking back. But yeah, it's uh, it was a pleasure like always, my friend. It's always good to speak to you. Good man. Take care of yourself, mate. And, and you too. keep the family safe. For sure. For sure. Take Cheers, care. mate. Take it easy, mate. Thank you, Denim. Take Bye. care. Bye now. Bye. Bye.